I love when you ask kids to tell the story. Tell the story of Christmas, right? The way that kids retell the story is the best. But the question I always linger with is this. What happened after the manger? What, what happened after that? When the first guest checked out of the inn and the innkeeper came to Joseph and said, Joe, room 11 is available now. And Joe went and took Mary into room 11 and they began raising Jesus. You ever think about what was Jesus like as a baby? What was he like as a baby, right? I mean, we have nothing to go on in the scriptures. We know that Jesus was born in a manger. Eight days later, he was circumcised. Ouch. You know? And then we don't have anything about it. But what about all those years where Jesus was an infant or a toddler? Do you ever wonder, was Jesus like a talkative baby? Yeah, you don't say. <laughs> or... Or maybe Jesus was easily amused as a baby. Anybody have a... Or maybe, and don't, don't crucify me for blasphemy, is it possible Jesus was a little mischievous? Sophia? Dad? Yeah. Did you take my phone? No. Get it! <laughs> what was baby Jesus like, is what I sort of wonder. Hey, we have been working our way through a message series that we are calling The Spirit of Christmas. And uh, today we've been looking at places where we see the Holy Spirit show up in the Christmas story, right? And today we're going to see the Spirit of the living God show up in flesh and blood. And and so we're going to see where the Word becomes flesh today. In the Gospel of Matthew, if you read the Gospel of Matthew, it basically says Jesus was born. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark skips over Jesus' birth altogether, doesn't even write about it at all. The Gospel of Luke is the best account of Jesus' birth. It's got the shepherds, it's got the angels, it's got all of that. That's the one that you read on Christmas morning to your kids. But I want to look at the most interesting Christmas story, which is in the book of John. In the book of John, John always did things a little bit differently in his gospel. If you've got a Bible, open it to John chapter 1. There's Bibles in the pews in front of you. You may have some sermon notes. You can follow along on the screens or in your sermon notes. But we're going to talk about the book of John. John did things differently. He told the story differently. He always worded things a little differently, a little more flowery, right? But John tells us the Christmas story didn't begin 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. But it began way before that, so at the beginning of time. This is how John words it. He's going to say, Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word. I thought Greece was the Word, the Word that you heard. It's got groove, it's got feeling. But Jesus is the Word, according to John. Take a look at this in John's Christmas story. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I do this, so you have to read along with me. In the beginning was the what? The Word. The word. And it already existed. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was what? With God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. We see that in John chapter 1. The word in Greek is this word called logos. And what it is, is it's this 
And the Greek thought it was this impersonal force. It was responsible for the universe. It was uh, an imper- impersonal power that was responsible for thought and wisdom and really all of creation. But John is saying here, the word is not an impersonal force, but the word is personal, very personal in fact. It's actually a person, and that word has a name, and his name is Jesus, right? That's his name. And so we're going to see some things in John's account that are really sort of interesting, and, and they change everything for who Jesus was and what he did. Here's the first thing we know about Jesus. Jesus is pre-existent. Jesus is pre-existent. It says the word all, already existed. It was, you, you've heard in the beginning? Well, this was before the beginning was the word. What comes before the beginning? In our thinking, nothing. The beginning is the beginning, right? But we are told the word was before the beginning. But Jesus is not only pre-existent, Jesus is also coexistent. He's coexistent. It says the word was with God. This word, this was face to face with God, right? The word and God were staring at at each other. They are coexistent. We see that also Jesus is self-existent. Self-existent. And and that means God is a self-existent being. And Jesus, the word, is a self-existent being. God is the only being that doesn't need anything else outside of himself to exist. Everything else in creation is dependent upon something else. You had a mother and a father. They had a mother and a father. You were dependent upon something else. God is not. The word doesn't need anything. And then we see in verse 2, it says, it uses the pronoun he. He. God is a person. Uh, He's not just an idea. He's not just a concept. He's a person. Uh, The word was a he. And we're going to see what did this word do? What did he do? Well, get this. Jesus is the creator. He's the creator. We see in John's account, chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. God created what? Everything. Through who? Through him, the word. And nothing was created except through who? Him. The word what? Gave life to Everything that was created and his life brought what? Light to everyone. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. When John said in the beginning, at the beginning of his gospel, everybody who had read the scriptures was like, wait, I've heard this before. It's at the very beginning of the the Old Testament scriptures that those five books written by Moses started with in the beginning. And when he says in the beginning, everybody knew what that meant. Genesis chapter one, right, says what? God created the what? And what else? The earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And who? The spirit of God was hovering over the surface of of the waters. And there we see him. The spirit. The spirit of God, right? Hovering over the waters with God and John tells us with the word. All three of them together, present at creation, initiating all of creation. Now, we live in a world that is overwhelmingly been taught this theory of evolution, right? It's a thought, it's a hypothesis or a concept really a concept in search of a theory, right? It's an idea in search of science that will back it up, right? 
Evolution says there was a massive explosion of matter that created order in everything we see in our world. The only problem with that is explosions never create order. Do you know that? I can tell you right now, if I was to put all the parts of a computer into a box and drop a stick of dynamite in that box, light it, quick close it, let it explode, if I open that box, I am not going to find an assembled computer that you can boot up. Would you agree with that? A hundred out of a hundred times. Well, the theory of evolution says, well, let it explode and then leave it for a billion years. Well, in a billion years, it's still not going to boot up. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? This is, this is sort of the nature of their understanding of it. In fact, I recently heard a comedian talking about it in this way. If you get a chance and come across this clip, take a look at it. He said this. He said, some people think God created the universe. And some people think nothing created the universe. Which is a funny position to take when you think about it, right? Because the nothing people make fun of the God people. They make fun of the God people, right? And they say God doesn't exist. Okay, maybe. But you know what definitely doesn't exist? Nothing! It doesn't exist. It's the defining characteristic of nothing. You believe in something that doesn't exist, right? So what are we talking about here? It's either God or God is something you can't touch, taste, smell, photograph, something that science can't prove, or it's nothing, something you can't touch, taste, smell, or photograph, right? And science can't prove it's nothing, right? And I think we can all agree if that nothing was to somehow magically and spontaneously explode into everything working in order, that's a pretty magical nothing, wouldn't you think? Right? And so, and so the, and, and then it's actually kind of funny because it continues from there. If you ask the nothing people what happens when you die, the nothing people will say, Nothing! Nothing happens when you die. You go into nothing, which is this. Let me get this straight. When you die, you merge back with your creator? Is that what you're saying? And uh, well, that's heaven. That's what we call heaven. It's, it's circular reasoning that creation can't explain, right? And so we understand that. But here's the, here's the kicker of all of evolution. It says the word gave life. The word gave life. I say it like this. Jesus is who he is. He is who he is. He gave life. The word gave life. Uh, the word gave life. The word was life, it says in some other translations. Uh, another problem with the evolutionary theory is this. How do you get life from non-life? How do you get inorganic matter to turn into life? How do you get inert molecules to turn into sentient Life, like there's no explanation for that. And, and that's what the word did. Jesus is who he is. He, he said, Jesus says, I am. He says in John chapter eight, verse 58, he says, I am. Which would also hearken back to the God of the Old Testament who in Exodus chapter three said to Moses, I tell them I am who I am. I am. There's no explanation. I just am. I am who I am. You can't do anything about it. We, when we say he is who, she, who he is or she is who she is, we're basically saying, I don't have an explanation for them. 
right? I can't explain them. I can't change them. They are who they are. I can't do anything about it. We say that about situations in our life. It is what it is. What that means is I can't change it. I don't know what to do with it. It is what it is. God, Jesus is who he is. That's who he is. And the word is the word, right? You can't explain Jesus. You can't change Jesus. He is who he is. And then we also see in this passage, Jesus is the light. And it says, in his life, brought light to everyone. And we're going to see this brief discussion about John the Baptist thrown in here, but the point John is making, not John the Baptist, the author John is making, is that Jesus is the light of the world. Listen to what it says. God sent a man, who? John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not, he was not the light, He was simply a witness to tell about what? The light. The one who is the what? True light who what? Gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus is the light of the world. You know, it is totally appropriate that we light everything up at Christmas. We, we, we literally light everything up at Christmas. You go down that one street where everything is lit up. You look in your home and you've got a, a tree. That, how many people like steady lights? Steady white lights. How many people are steady white light people? You can repent later. How many people are multicolored lights on your tree? Multicolored lights tree. How many people here are multifunction, blinking, slow burning, steady? How many people are like that? Anybody else? I'm the only one. Okay, I like that. My, my, my. It is totally appropriate that we light up Christmas because Jesus is the light of the world, right? Every time you see a Christmas light, you should think about the light coming into the world. Every time you see a star on top of a tree, you should think about the star that led the wise men to Jesus. Every time you see twinkling lights, multifunction lights. You should think of angels moving around, singing uh, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And God sent his son to be the light of the world. And we have, when we ask him to be our Lord and Savior, he gives us the mantra of being the light to the world as well for him. Um, what does that look like for you this Christmas? I, you know, I've been thinking about this a little bit. What does it look like to be the light of the world? What does it look like to be the light to just even your world? God gave us the job to light up Christmas, and it's not too late. It's the middle of the day on the 24th, and as I was preparing this message, I thought to myself, what can I give these people before it's too late? Dane has to go shopping. I mean, <laughs> what, 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 can I, what can I do For these people, let me tell you something. It is not too late to light up somebody's Christmas. Who can you call? What text can you send? Whose face will literally light up when they see that you are trying to FaceTime them a little bit later today? Who can you visit? Who can you actually show up for that is not expecting you before the day is over? Think about somebody in your life who's lonely and feeling it this Christmas because they've lost someone because their circumstances have been rough this year. Who could you literally show up for? What could you do to bring light into those circumstances? Who could you invite over to your house tonight or tomorrow or make plans with on the 26th, the 27th, the 28th? What, what could you do for someone 
who is just feeling a dark Christmas this year. How could you shine God's light that he shined into the world into our world? Who could you invite to the Christmas Eve service tonight if you haven't come already? How can you let the light of Jesus shine through you and into the, light of other, into the lives of others? What can you do to let God's light shine through you? Because the whole point of Christmas, the whole point of Christmas is this. The word became flesh. The word became flesh. John chapter 1 continues. And it says this. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to who? His own people. And even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become what? The children of God. The children of God. They are reborn. Not with a physical birth, although that is what this story is about at Christmas. Not with a physical birth, resorting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from, which is the virgin birth, a birth that comes from God. So the word what? Became human and what else? He made his home among us and he was full of what? Unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory The glory of the Father's what? One and only Son. This introduces, and probably you've seen it from the beginning, the concept of the Trinity. One God composed of three equal, co-equal persons, right? Distinct in personality, but one in unity and in essence. Now, I know many people struggle with the concept of the Trinity. Why? Because it's confusing. It's hard to understand, right? And we use these imperfect illustrations to represent that God is God and Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God and they're all God and they're all together and they're all... You hear all these illustrations. I heard somebody call it a pretzel. It's like the first hole of the pretzel is not the second hole of the pretzel. The second hole is not the third hole of the pretzel, but they're all the pretzel. We've seen people talk about it like the states of matter, right? (coughs) Water is not only water, it's also steam, And it's also ice. And yet they're all H2O. They're all water, right? And some people will say, well, it's a little bit like a man. Like, I can be a father and a son and an uncle all at the same time, same man, all three of those things. My favorite is the cherry pie analogy. How many people here know how to make real cherry pie, good cherry pie, homemade cherry pie? How many people know that? Homemade cherry pie. Does anybody know how this works? You make the cherry pie, and in the inside of the cherry pie is what? And what else? Soupy, gooey goodness. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Like you, you cut a cherry pie, you can cut it into three different slices if you want to, but when you slide out that piece of cherry pie, what's going to happen? It's just going to run everywhere. That gooey cherry filling is going to run everywhere. And so that same piece of cherry pie that's in all three places really is just one big mash of cherry Filling goodness. Anybody else know what I'm talking about here, right? Yeah. All of these illustrations about the Trinity, though, they they fall short. And I'll tell you why. First of all, a pretzel, really? I mean, pretzels are delicious, but, you know, that doesn't seem like a good illustration. The, The other illustration of the states of matter, water, steam, and ice. The problem with that illustration is this. It's water, steam, and ice all at the same time at the same, it doesn't make sense. Right? You, you can't really explain that. Um, uh, the Trinity is a mystery. And at some point, don't you just have to embrace the mystery? 
Like, I know there are people here who are analytical thinkers, and right now you're like, until somebody explains it to me and you can show it to me all the way, I'm not going to believe it. I, I understand that, but this is God. He was before all things. Pre-existent. He was co-existent. He's self-existent. None of that makes sense in our world. It just doesn't make sense, right? This is like that new math. You want to know the new math of the Trinity? It's one plus one plus one equals one. None of that makes sense. But, but that's what the Trinity is. And we can't understand it because your tiny little brain, don't take any offense, but my tiny little brain can't comprehend it. But I can have faith that it doesn't make sense that an explosion of nothing turned into everything and created all that we know in perfect order. It doesn't make sense to me, right? So I can respond in faith. And the Trinity is the same thing. Here's the point. The point of everything today is this. Jesus is fully human. Jesus is fully human. The Word became human, it says in the text. The Word became human. A baby. Can you imagine what it was like to be God locked into a baby's body? Like, did he want to just say things? And he probably could. You know? I, I just don't know what that looks like. First John 1.1, 1, 1, same author, John, in his other book, 1.1, 1, 1, says this. We proclaim to you that the one who existed when? From the beginning. Whom we have John had sat around a campfire with Jesus. He had eaten with Jesus. He had, he had, he had gone shopping with Jesus. He, he had heard and seen him. We saw him with our own eyes. And what else? We touched him with our own hands. He is the what? He's the word of life. I saw him. I've been there. I saw everything you could see. He is the word of life. And that's where we get this term, the incarnation. God became flesh, flesh and blood. When Jesus was a baby, Jesus made a stinky. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus made a stinky. And I don't think he said to his mother Mary, pardon me, mother. I believe I've soiled myself. He, he was a flesh and blood baby. As a toddler, when Jesus was taking his first steps, do you think because he was Jesus, he just did it perfectly? He was sauntering? Or do you think Jesus took a header or two while he was learning to, to walk? What do you think? I, I, Jesus was, when Jesus was a kid and he got the flu and he had body aches and headache. Man, the flu's been going around. Anybody else had the flu? Don't raise your hand if you're sitting next to somebody right now. But, um, you know, the, 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 you feel miserable. You ever just feel miserable when you got the flu? And because... God chose to make Jesus a man and not a woman. Jesus was probably a big baby when he had the flu. You know what I mean? I, he, was, he was flesh and blood like you and I. When Jesus was a teenager, does anybody else think Jesus might have been a little bit moody? I don't want to get into blasphemy here or heresy or anything like that. But, but I wonder, he was fully human. But get this, he was also fully God. Jesus was fully human and fully God at the same time. It says the word was God. Colossians chapter 1 explains this, I think, the best. It said Christ is the what? Visible image of the what? Visible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all of creation. For through him God created what? 
everything in the heavenly realms and where? And on earth. He made the things we can what? And the things we? He's made it all, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. What was created? Everything was created through him and what? He existed before anything else and he, get this, holds all of creation together. Fully human, fully God, fully spirit. All three were there at the beginning. God, the spirit of God hovering over the waters. And we're told the word was there too. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christmas is finally lying in a manger. And that leads me to... So what? So what? What's the point of all this? Why did the word come? Well, in the very last verse of John chapter 20, we're going to see the reason the word came. And it's because Jesus is the Christ. Jesus Christ is not his last name if you're new to this religion thing. Christ is a title. It's, it's, it's proclaiming who he is. And in John chapter 20, verse 31, this is the last verse of John's book that starts in the beginning, the word was with God. It says this, but these are written, this whole book, all 20 chapters are written so that you may continue to believe that who is the what? The? He's the son of God. And that by believing in him, you will have what? Life. By the power of his name, no other name, just his name. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. He's the promised Messiah that came down in human flesh to die for you and I on the cross that we might have a relationship with the God of heaven, with the Son, His Son, Jesus Christ, and even with the Spirit. And He's the only way. He would say so Himself in this same book in John chapter 14. He would say, Jesus told Him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. The real question this morning is, on this Christmas Eve, is what do you do with that information? What are you going to do with it? What will you do with that this Christmas? Listen, if you're here today and you're sort of, somebody dragged you here because it's Christmas, God bless you, I'm glad you're here, and I'm, God bless you who dragged you here. Um, but this is a time where you get a chance to decide what you're going to do with that. If you are here this morning and this is intriguing to you and you are figuring it out, I would say welcome to First Baptist. We don't have it all figured out. I don't, I don't know everything. I am figuring it out along the way. And you don't have to have it all figured out to be a part of what God is doing here at First Baptist. Stick around. Ask your questions. Put God to the test. I've always said God's not afraid of your questions. He, he's got an answer to your questions. I may not always have the answer, but he has an answer. Come around and figure out what it means to investigate this Jesus guy, the radical teachings that he would have that changed the world, and see what you believe. See if it's true. Maybe this Christmas will be the first Christmas where you start to put Jesus in the middle of your Christmas. Because the truth of the matter is, is Christ is what makes Christmas Christmas. If the word doesn't become flesh and the flesh doesn't die for our sins and doesn't provide a path for us to heaven, then nobody cares about Christmas. That's what Christmas is about. 
And it is not too late today to put Christ in the center of your Christmas. You can turn the corner right here, right now, in this moment, and put Christ in the middle of your Christmas. You don't have to play this Christmas game any longer. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about with the Christmas game? Because I'm guilty of it too. I've been thinking about this for a few days. The Christmas game goes like this. I'm chasing, this is what I've narrowed it down to for me. Christmas for me is about chasing a feeling. Anybody else know what I mean? You're chasing a feeling. And it's true with every gift I buy. Oh man, I hope this gift is going to go over well and they're going to love it. It, It's true of every decoration that I put up. I think, oh man, this is going to really put us into the mood. Every plan that I make. Oh, I'm going to love being at the Christmas Eve service. Oh, I'm going to invite so-and-so to lunch or dinner. We're going to bake and we're going to give things away so that people gain 50, 100 pounds, whatever it is. Like... Like, all of that is chasing this feeling. And I don't know where that feeling comes from for you or for me. Sometimes it's from Christmases long ago. And we just have that warm, nostalgic feeling. And sometimes it's, we're chasing a feeling we've almost never had. We've never had enough at Christmas. We've always had fights and, 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 and infighting in our family. And we're just chasing this feeling thinking that's the spirit of Christmas. Here's the problem. Feelings fade. And circumstances get in the way of those feelings. The true spirit of Christmas is presence. God became man and showed up and lived amongst us. And so I'm going to encourage you. Starting right now, honestly, starting right now, would you just be present with the people God has in your life this Christmas? I guarantee you there is somebody out there today that somebody is not coming home for Christmas and it's ruining your Christmas. I guarantee you sometime tomorrow morning where you are opening presents and you're looking at the presents you got and you're looking at the presents someone else got and you go, this is lame. (laughs) I guarantee you at some point somebody's going to be making a big beautiful dinner and something's not going to come out right and people are going to go, really, are we eating this? But here's the thing that you can always count on in Christmas. You can count on the people who are sitting right in front of you right now. Can I tell you something? Right now, this moment, I don't want to be any place else than right here with you. This afternoon when I go to lunch with my family, I will sit with my family and I will eat lunch and I will enjoy just being in the presence of my family. Tonight when I come back to do Christmas Eve service with Pastor Glenn, and, and Glenn's like family to me now at this point, like I get to spend Christmas Eve with my buddy Glenn. Would you be present wherever God has called you to be present, to shine light into a world that, that is filled with darkness and pain and they are chasing a feeling they're not going to find, but you can be present for them the way Christ has been present for us. Let me pray. God, thank you that you loved us enough to come physically and to be present in our world. That you shared every pain and every heartache, God. That you shared every, every difficulty and, and you did it alongside these people you called family. You had brothers and, and, and a mom and, and Joe. And, and you did it, God, with, with these fishermen and tax collectors and these random people that you ran around with for three years and did miracles. And you did it with all kinds of hurting people, God, that were just looking for a little help. Father God, 
I'm so thankful for the gift of your presence and that your presence led to your sacrifice and your sacrifice leads to eternal life for me that I get a chance to be present with you. God, would you allow us to turn the corner right here, right now? Emmanuel, God with us, let us be with the people you have placed in our lives and be present for them. In your son Jesus' name, amen.